We are on the Party on the Profits podcast. I am here with Chris Ressa. Chris, thank you for being on our show today. Oh, thank you for having me. So, Chris, tell us who, uh, tell the viewers and listeners who you are, what you do, and how do you achieve your pursuit of success and happiness? I am a husband and a father. I am somebody who likes to take on tough challenges. I love to try and solve what some say are the unsolvable and do what some say are the undoable. That's kind of my nature. Um, Pretty good uh, when the pressure's on. I like being in the pressure cooker. There goes my mic falling down as we speak, of course. And then, uh, you know, I have one, I think one of the things that distinguished me is I have a pretty high tolerance for stress. Um, I am inspired by those who kind of defeat the odds. And, you know, I love, you know, connecting with those types of people who challenge the status quo, defeat the odds. And, uh, I love a good comeback story and the underdog. So that's a little bit about me from a work perspective. I'm the chief operating officer at DLC management. We're a landlord. We own um, about two and a half billion dollars worth of uh, primarily retail real estate uh, on the Eastern half of the country. Wow. So do you own lease and manage that portfolio as well? Yeah, so we're a vertically integrated platform. We do everything in-house. We don't third-party anything. Um, sometimes we do, but rarely. So I've got my own leasing team, property management team, construction management team, marketing. You know, if you're doing a lease with us, it's going to be my attorney in-house. It's not going to be outside counsel. Uh, and the, you know, I even have, I started in uh, March. I even have my own general contracting business. Uh, given construction costs are so high, we built our own wow. GC business. So I've, not only am I CMing the jobs, I got my own general contractor uh, under my umbrella. And so, you know, that's kind of our, um, you know, our, we try to leverage the platform. We kind of say, you know, people talk about that real estate is location, location, location. I like to say it's people, 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 and what creates the, um, the opportunities in real estate or the people behind the real estate and not the location uh, itself. And so for, for us, we try to leverage the human capital platform we have to add value to the real estate rather than invest in real estate and third party everything out. And that's our value proposition. I love it. We, my company does a very, has a very similar approach minus the construction aspect. So I know what goes into it. And I have a ton of respect for uh, you taking the, it's not an extra mile. That's like an extra a thousand miles of Uh uh, taking on the construction industry because that is uh, significant. Can you tell me about your experience getting into commercial real estate, how you got here, why you chose retail, and yeah, I'll, I'll start with that. Uh, so I think uh, my first job out of college, I was applying to a bunch of jobs. I didn't have a uh, grandiose visions of working in the commercial real estate industry, but 
I was applying to jobs at a college. I applied to Sherwin Williams, the paint stores company. And I was in their corporate real estate department. And I was going out, opening new stores, opening industrial facilities, opening, you know, signing leases for district offices and things like that on the, so I was a tenant and I realized that I was, it was a great company, but I was a function of their business. I wasn't their business. The, the people there that, you know, really moved the needle were the people who either made the paint or sold the most paint. I really didn't want to get into the, go into the stores and and be a, a store manager and then work my way up DM and that path. And I didn't have a chemistry degree, so I wasn't, you know, designing, you know, uh, in creating new paints and figuring out the color match system. That was a big thing back then when I was there. And so I moved over to the developer side and the landlord side. And um, that's kind of how I got into it. Very cool. And why did you choose retail? You said you were rolling in some industrial spaces. Why retail? I mean, at the time, so one to me, it's the one that's to me in the asset class, it's a little more than just real estate. My, I need to understand, like I, I, as much as, I don't know that I'm an expert in either, but as much as I'm a commercial real estate expert, I know just as much about the retail industry, maybe more about retailing than I do actually about real estate. So that fascinated me. Uh, Just, you know, learning about all these different businesses and you really have to understand them, how they work, how they operate, all those things. And so I think that for me was one, I think. uh, And then two, it's complicated, it's messy. And there was challenges going in and uh, not simple. You could get into like multifamily or something, but, and it's, and, and, and that is, you know, that is, um, I think, you know, the development piece is, is challenging entitlements, all that, but there's a little bit, you know, I, 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 there's a little bit more nuance to retail. And I think there's way more asset classes. You know, most people don't know there's more retail REITs than any other REIT because back in the day there was, if you wanted to own the enclosed mall business, which is about as different as a doctor and lawyer as what I do in the open air strip center business, you you could buy mall REITs, you could buy grocery anchored REITs, you could buy power center REITs, you could buy REITs that, and I mean buy them, I mean buy stocks, you can buy the stock of that company. You could buy outlet REITs, you could buy uh, triple net lease REITs. So there's all these different retail sectors. Whereas like in office, you got like A, B, C office buildings, you know, in industrial, you've got like the big million square foot industrial. You've got like, whereas, you know, retail is like, got like 37,000 asset classes. And that's why all these REITs were created. And if you were a retail stock investor and you wanted to own some commercial real estate and retail, there's a myriad of places you could go. I found that fascinating because they were all different and messy and complicated. And I liked it. Very cool. So I just have to ask what the heck is going on with your company in March of 2021? How have, what have been some highs, some lows and some in-betweens of the COVID pandemic situation in the retail space that you work so I think, so from uh, in COVID, you know, we had an all hands on deck. I went from like the real estate business to the rent collection business. Um, so that was, you know, 
last year we were in the rent collection business, which really means it was the craziest amount of deal making ever, right? A, a large portion of my portfolio is national retailers, the Starbucks of the world, Walmarts of the world, but I also have the local mom and pop pizza tenants of the world. Um, so it was cutting deals, COVID deals. Some of those were deals we would have made in a pre-COVID era. Um, some of them were not. There was all these uh, deferments and extensions of term for maybe abatement and things like this. So we did, you know, almost a thousand of those. So that was pretty time consuming. From a, you know, a branding perspective, we did, uh, you know, we had three pillar strategy in 2020, which was, uh, I call them the eights, the A-T-E, which was communicate, mitigate, and accommodate. So we wanted to have a voracious communication plan with our tenants. We had to do everything from a COVID mitigation, CDC protocols, people were coming to our properties, make sure we did what we could to sanitize and make sure it was a safe place to shop. And then the third was uh, accommodate, which doesn't mean give away free rent, which means, you know, there's a outdoor seating at a restaurant that we can provide and do things like that. And how can we help our tenants, help them through PPP process if we could and things like that. So that's what we did in 2020. Um, you know, leasing activity has picked up. I think from, you know, we're at a, I would say we're going to, we're on pace for, you know, a record quarter this year in new lease activity. Um, and so contrary to headline news, there's a ton of retailers opening up new stores. Um, and, you know, right now where, you know, we're focused on, you know, we're growing, we're contrarian, we're going to buy retail. We, we have a big triple net lease development business, which is a little insulated because everyone wants a freestanding out parcel. And so we're out gobbling up land to build on behalf of preferred clients. That's a, it used to be a sidecar business. It's not, it's growing as one of our lines of business, that triple net lease development. And that's a build to sell business. We have preferred clients. We took the clients that we have, our tenants in our national portfolio, and we built relationships with them and said, hey, where we don't own, can we go and where but you where you want to be? Tell us where you want to be. Let me put that land under contract and I'll build it for you. And that's a build to sell business. And right now we've got like 14 deals under contract or LOI and like 60 sites that we're chasing down. So that's really growing. Buying existing shopping centers has been a challenge right now. Uh, debt markets are really challenged for hospitality, office, retail. Um, and, you know, big difference between a private company like us, that's the size of a mid-sized REIT, but big difference between us and, you know, some of the REITs is they have, you know, you know, blanket corporate, uh, corporate debt. Uh, we don't use debt like that. We don't have corporate debt like that. We have property level debt. And so we have mortgages. And so the, the commercial mortgage market is challenged right now. And then you have the, the so the capital markets are challenged on that and the investment sales side is tough. A lot of people haven't brought things to market because they know that the market's challenged to get debt and therefore they don't want to put something on the market, have it, you know, go cold. So there's a lack of deal flow on the acquisition side. So I think if I were going to say, you know, where blocking and tackling, like leasing, constructing, building, I'm going to do, I don't know, 50, $60 million in construction, you know, something like that this year, we're, we're rocking and rolling on building and we got, new, you know, ton of new tenants we're leasing space to. I think the two big concerns I have are construction costs and the debt markets and what happens on those two. 
what's going on in, with construction costs, I think this is a really valuable um, nugget for our listeners. Uh, I, they're, they're going up and, you know, I think, I don't care what asset class you're in, whether you're in office, industrial, multi, you know, I think multi is a good place, right? One of the things I would say on multi, one of the big challenges is, you know, if you look at the cookie cutter luxury apartment, where are you, where are you based? Denver, right? Denver. Denver. You're in Denver. Whether you're in Denver, New York, Miami, LA, the apartment building's the same everywhere, right? It's this cool, sexy two bedroom. The, they got a clubhouse with a pool and they have a fitness facility and it's the same building everywhere. Well, they've pressed rents out the wazoo in those buildings. I don't think people can afford higher rents that that person who's living there, there's no more rent growth in that. And if construction costs keep rising, these things are already selling at like four caps. Uh, it's going to be hard to build these things and maybe an opportunity for the value add space and multi, but in whether it's retail, industrial office, at some point it feels in all commercial real estate, it feels construction costs are outpacing um, rents by something that's unsustainable. Yeah. And so what does that mean in two years if construction costs don't stop? I, I don't know what that means. Does that mean that, you know, deals are going to slow because no developer can, you know, even if it's an existing building, right? If the, the build out cost or TI package, whatever it is, the cost to the landlord is X and the rent is Y. It's at some point, it's like they're better off leaving it vacant. And so, and I would say, you know, construction costs have to rationalize or rents have to grow at a pace that's crazy. And we all know what people are thinking about rents in all, whether it's an apartment, an industrial building, a retail center, like rents going up like that seems eyebrow raising and therefore construction costs have to rationalize. And given all the stimulus, all the infrastructure, one of the things I'm concerned about, it, I love the infrastructure. I think that's consumer spending is going to happen. It's good for retail. On the other side on construction costs, I think that, well, if all these people go, all these GCs go to get all, all these big, you know, road infrastructure jobs in this, it's going to be hard to get them to, to build out your 8,000 square foot warehouse space. And if you do, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. Right. Oh man, the rubber's going to hit the road. I don't know how, where, how, or when, but. Me too. So at some point construction costs have to rationalize. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I don't know what it is today, but like a couple of weeks ago, a piece of plywood was $30 and like 90 days before that it was $8. That just doesn't, imagine if rents went up that, that much. Property taxes in the warehouses have, but that's for another conversation. Yeah, property taxes. You know what's funny? In all commercial real estate, there was this whole thing, right, where do tenants have to pay rent? And then our tenants, you know, should the landlords help tenants? And then should lenders help landlords? Right. And there was this whole thing, right? And there was all these bills passed about this. What I never saw, never saw. No one chased municipalities and said, hey, why don't you guys give these people a break on property taxes. I know. I know. So, it, um... That like went under the COVID radar, property taxes, loans in commercial real estate, rents. That was all over headline news. Never saw property taxes anywhere. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's, 
definitely our biggest pain point. And so uh, we're speaking the same language. I, yeah. it's, it's suffocating for the tenants, obviously, because they're in these triple net leases and uh, it's not fun. So I'm going to, my next question is a, a selfish question, but I also think this will bring value to our listeners. My personal goal is to create a $1 billion investment firm. How did you create a 2 billion plus and growing dollar so, real estate investment firm? I am a partner today. I'm 30. I'm going to be 38 this year, man. I'm old, but I didn't found the company. So I would tell you, uh, but here's, I was a part of some accelerated growth over the last five years. We, uh, from like 14 to 20, we bought a billion dollars worth of real estate. Um, I'm going to give you three words to, that makes this real simple. This is how you do it. It's very simple. Billions, easy. People, people, people. So that's it. You need the right team in place. You need the right people. And, you know, you can always find deals. You can always raise money. You need the right people. Right. And so I know you're also very active socially in the interwebs, as I call them. Have you been able to integrate any form of fundraising through uh, your social use or do you use that in other ways? Um, so about half our portfolio is like JV institutional partners, half our portfolio is like our legacy wholly owned type assets. Um, so I see the opportunity. Clubhouse to me is interesting from a fundraising perspective. So uh, that one's interesting from a fundraising, probably more interesting to me from fundraising than other platforms, especially since you're seeing like Shark Tank rooms where people are like pitching deals and getting deals done. That's happening at scale, which you don't see on like LinkedIn, Instagram or whatnot. So I haven't done it yet. What I would say though, is just take a step back social networking, what it has done is I met you through social media and we're networking. And so you can network with people and maybe some of those people are in the business of investing or deploying equity into assets. So have I done it like on a clubhouse scenario where I've created a room and said, I have a deal. I'm trying to crowdsource, you know, $20 million of equity. Here's the deal. DM me on Instagram? No, but it seems like that's happening. <laughs> that's legitimately happening on Clubhouse. Um, now, I was more focused on, uh, you know, building a thought leadership presence on, uh, I really focused like 2016, 17 on LinkedIn, grew that to, you know, over 30,000 followers. Then I, wow. I, mo I moved to, they move, I stayed on LinkedIn, moved to uh, this a podcast we have called Retail Retold. And then I pivoted, I didn't pivot, we still do that. We're going all in on our podcast and then putting a lot of money behind the podcast. And then I, um, you know, I've been pretty active on Clubhouse and that's been, I probably have now multiple Zoom calls a week with people front that I met through Clubhouse for work, which even on LinkedIn, that didn't happen. I have multiple Zoom calls a week. I met this person on Clubhouse. Maybe they're a tenant, maybe they're another a competitor, maybe they're an institution, maybe they're a vendor. I've got a million uh, Zoom calls a week from Clubhouse. I met you Not from a million, Clubhouse. A That's how Correct. I found you was we were in a Clubhouse and then I was like listening, you got it. networking. And so it's, um, it is 
completely mind-blowing the opportunity that we have moving forward and I uh I get excited when I find people like you in our field who get that because I find when it comes to commercial real estate we're few and far between I could be wrong I want to ask what is when did you when was your aha moment that there was a digital situation steam train coming that was going to impact our industry? I mean, the digital steam train has been impacting us and people just have turned an eye to it. Depends on what you think about uh, what, what that means to you that it impacted it. Um, so, you know, it's impacted from a lot of places, right? We have auction.com. You can go on auction.com and buy a commercial property now on auction.com, right? So that's one way you have, right? That, that, and I've actually sold something on 10X, right? Um, before. And so uh, we, I don't know that we've bought anything from 10X, but we sold on there. Um, and so there's a million ways, right? So that's one way, right? You have the whole social, you know, I will say I see more listings getting posted in feeds than I ever have before. So you have that piece of it. Um, I, I think one of the things that hit home for me was when I was in like the great recession in 2010, I was just a, um, leasing some properties for us. I wasn't in the role I'm in today. I was just a leasing rep and, uh, we, I was, you know, emailing some prospects and, you know, cold emailing and not really getting anywhere. And then I started DMing them on LinkedIn and I was getting like 2010, 11 and I was getting instant feedback. And I said, huh, there's probably something here. It took me a while personally to start from a, like a sales perspective, prospecting, branding, really understanding all that to go all in. But here's, I think digital is the wrong the wrong perspective. So commercial real estate for a long time. So social media is just a, it's a form of marketing. Commercial real estate has, and this goes back to my earlier point has been, you know, kind of just like meh on marketing in general, right? If uh, how, how many employees are at your company? Uh, four. Four. Okay. Um, so if you take a landlord, I don't know, let's pick a big industrial landlord. Let's take like a Prologus, right? I bet that, I don't know, but I don't know that Prologus marketing departments like a hundred yeah. people deep. I don't think it is right. Whereas like a Coca-Cola, it's enormous, right? Nike, it's a big marketing department. And so commercial real estate, just, you know, marketing has been, what we've been really good at is like marketing properties. Yeah. Right. That's really business, which is really sales, Right. Whereas what, you know, when you think of marketing, you think about branding, you might brand the properties, but very rarely are they branding the companies that own the properties or the people behind them, like a Nike does or a Coca-Cola. And so I think we're late to the game because we, commercial real estate wasn't in TV or radio and traditional media that did all this branding and marketing. Social media is just another form of media. So I don't look at it as commercial real estate is missing the digitization. I look at it as, again, there's this, there's this old legacy mindset of the concept of marketing and branding as it relates to commercial real estate. And social media is just another way to do that. 
oh, I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night and not be able to get my mind off of everything you just said, because uh, (laughs) I think about it. I like, I'm like Cushman Wakefield. Why? Like, there's no brand. I don't get it. And, but what you're saying is that marketing was never prioritized, nor branding. Maybe there was a little catching up, but. uh, Yeah, no, what was prioritized was like the property, right? Marketing the property, right? We've seen some awesome brochures of some cool thing, right? We hire an architect to do some, um, you spend $100,000 on this property thing, right? But it's not about the company behind that, right? We've, so we've done a good job behind that. Whereas you watch a Nike commercial and you don't see sneakers. You see some person who's overcoming obstacles. They're winning a, a race with like prosthetic legs, and because that's their brand, it's just do it. It's about overcoming obstacles and and all of that. And 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 that's what they're hitting home on. They're trying to get you to connect with their brand and marketing. And that just hasn't never moved to commercial real estate. I, so it's not about social media or digitization. It's about we just have this legacy marketing mindset. And social media is just another marketing tool, branding tool that some are not taking advantage of just like TV or radio wasn't taken advantage of. Oh, that is so cool. So I, I just love it because I love marketing. I love commercial real estate. I think we have. Yeah. Seen- I mean, you've built like a, a killer following on Instagram. I think you, you, you started that from TikTok, right? That's where you started, right? Yeah. And you grew a huge following on TikTok. I had a lot of experience building other other brands until I was locked in my house in March 2020, and I realized, uh, like specifically in TikTok, there was very very little competition in the commercial real estate space. Shocker! Made some friends, made some amazing connections, you know, and this whole snowball effect into meeting people like you, and just uh, I'm loving the commercial real estate community of forward thinking folks like you, uh, it's a joy. So I have one more question for you and then I have a speed round. Okay. My final question, tell me about your podcast. Um, I know you said you're putting efforts into it. Tell me about it. Who? Yeah, yeah. Let's about it. today we just launched our website. It's called Retail Retold. So it finally has a website. Uh, we started November 19 um, and we niched down a little bit and I call it, um, it's called retail retold the story of how that, and you'll see it in the, the, this up here, my green screen's not up. That's why I'm kind of blotchy. Um, no, I can see it. Okay. But it says the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. And I say this, people will sit around a dinner table and say, they put Starbucks there. I say the prod podcast brings you who they is and how it happened. Cool. And so we bring the people behind the deals and I give different perspectives. We'll have someone, a corporate uh, real estate professional at a major brand, come on. We'll have a broker, come on. We'll have a landlord, come on. We'll have an attorney, come on. We'll have an architect, an environmental person. They all have a different perspective of how one store might've ended up where it did. And so that's what it is. So um, it's the story behind the deal and that's what we do. Sweet. And, and your website is for the listeners. Retailretold.com is the, the new website for the podcast. Our website's dlcmgmt.com. Beautiful. I really, really appreciate you taking the time 
for the Party on the Profits podcast. Now awesome. for one of my favorite segments, the speed round. All you have to do, say the first thing that comes to mind. Shall we? One word? Uh, I'm, you're not going to get in trouble if you do more than one word, but. Okay. Talking or texting? Talking. Favorite day of the week? Monday. Favorite city in the U.S. besides the one you live in? Charleston. Nickname your parents used to call you? Stoneface. On a scale from one to 10, how good of a driver are you? Six and a half. First celebrity crush? Uh, Demi Moore. If you could travel back in time, what time period would you go to? Fifties. Place you want to travel the most? Maldives. Last Halloween costume? My wife's birthday's on Halloween. She does not love Halloween. Uh, it's the day before Halloween. So uh, we were Popeye and olive oil. And last, Taylor Swift is? Incredible. Marketing genius. Chris, thank you so much for being on the Party on the Profits podcast. Again, thank I you. appreciate your time and I think you brought our listeners a lot of value. Thanks so much. Thank you. Awesome. Have a good one. Thank you again.